This is the Commonwealth City Church Podcast. Thanks for listening. Commonwealth is a church in Lexington, Kentucky. For more info, visit our website at commonwealthcitychurch.com and follow us on Instagram at comcitychurch. We hope you enjoy the message. My name's Andrew. It's good to be with you today. Uh, we didn't know this coming into the first service. Now I do know it because we've done, we've done this once already that we kind of shared an anniversary this week. Uh, Butch and Pam mentioned 40 years from Wednesday, but today, November 15th, 1991, I remember um, having a conversation with my dad, who's a pastor, and walking an aisle, Russell Springs First Baptist Church, and asking Jesus to, to forever reside in my heart as a, as a kid. And so 29 years of faithfully walking with Jesus, not perfectly walking with Jesus, but faithfully walking with Jesus. And sometimes we don't take the moments, like sometimes I feel like we brush past or rush past these moments to where I know that like I'm Andrew standing up here talking to you, but I'm also talking to you from the vantage point of like all of your leaders and elders too. And I just want to like say, like be able to look into your eyes and say, it's a little weirder with masks on, you know, cause I don't know if you're like scowling at me. Um, but to look into your eyes and say how much God uses you to spur one another on and endure for the sake of the gospel. Like, I've made it 29 years, but I've certainly not made it alone. You know, Butch and Pam have made it 40 years, but they've certainly not made it alone. And yes, they've made it forever united to the one that endures for them and with them, which is the spirit of the living God. But he's also invited some other people along for the ride. And I just want to thank you and just be grateful to you for the community that you are to insist and assist in my endurance and my perseverance and my running, um, keeping my eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of my faith, but also want to thank you for doing that for one another. Y'all are an incredible family. This has been a tough year, hasn't it? It's just been a hard year. Like, we have grieved things we didn't even know that we were going to feel grief about going into 2020. Um, whether, those, whether that's just related to COVID or we just, we've just endured a lot. And I am so proud to be a member of the family here um, that God has put together to endure with one another. I'm just so proud to be, like, to be your family, to be your brother, for you to be my brothers and my sisters. Um, you're a family that treasures Jesus. Like you are. We get to hear these stories all the time, but like I will never, ever, ever grow exhausted of hearing stories about how the family of God in this little display, minute display in the world called Commonwealth City Church treasures and cherishes Jesus. You guys do that. You endure. You fight the good fight. You ooze with gratitude. And like I know that God's sovereignty is the thing that ultimately leads us to perseverance. Like God is sovereign in how we persevere. I get that. I'm just grateful he uses y'all. <laughs> I'm grateful he uses y'all in my life. I'm grateful he uses you in the life of one another. And I intend to invite you today into this story of Joseph. It's in Genesis, but we're going to see it through a lens of a victorious Jesus who champions endurance in your life and in mine, all for the glory of his name. And so we're going to Turn, we're, it's like weird because we're going to cover two whole chapters, but we're going to do it in the form of like only looking at two verses. So you don't have to look at your clock and be like, well, Andrew's going to preach two whole chapters of the Bible. Don't worry about that. We're going to be good. Um, Genesis chapter 41, 
verses 38 and 39. If you have that, I'll give you a few moments. If you'll stand with me as we read and honor the word of the Lord today. Genesis 41, verses 38 and 39. And so we read the word of the Lord. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this? In whom is the spirit of God? And he said to Joseph, since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you. Let's pray. Uh, Jesus, we thank you so much for just the testimony of endurance that results in your exaltation, not our exaltation. I love that, that prayer even that Pam just prayed about being anonymous for your fame, like your exaltation be the beat of our heart. Jesus, we pray that your spirit cement that into our lives today. We pray that you show us the way that you use our story to declare your victory, um, declare your righteousness, declare your exaltation, declare your fame and your renown to the ends of the earth. Lord, we pray that your spirit teach and minister to our hearts today uh, greater truth about who you are, who you've called us to be. Uh, it's in your name we pray. Amen. You guys can be seated. Um, so we're, we picked up on those verses. I want to give you a quick, I wanna, I'm going to read them again or just touch them again. Can we find a man like this in whom is the spirit of God? That's such a great question from Pharaoh. And we're going to talk about that at the end of our time together today, too. But before we get to Pharaoh's declaration of that statement in Genesis 41, we're going to do like super, super, super fast flyby Genesis 37 through 40. Okay, so Genesis 37, quick review. His brothers, like J Joseph, is, is the most loved of all the sons of Jacob. There are 12 of them. He's the most loved. He's the most cherished. He's the most favored. And Joseph's brothers have a big hard time with this. Like they're, they're really struggling with this fact. So much so that the evil in them manifests and they just conspire to kill their brother, Joseph. And then they kind of talk themselves out of that and talk themselves into just selling him into slavery and faking his death to their dad um, by saying an animal ate him. And so they sell him into slavery and forget, basically, that he was even a part of their family. Then from there, we get into chapters 38 and 39, which actually work, as Kurt reminded us last week, as a parallel, paralleling two stories. One of a guy named Judah, who is Joseph's brother, who is a super wicked dude, and the last word you would ever describe Judah with is the word pure. And so we get this rundown of Judah's history of impurity, and then we compare it to 39, which is what Travis and Kurt did a, such a great job unpacking for us last week. You compare it to Genesis 39, which is Joseph, who in his pursuit of purity, in his pursuit of the righteousness of the Lord, in his pursuit of integrity, actually still winds up in jail again. Like he gets caught and framed and, and, and accused and ultimately convicted of some things he didn't do, even though he was running, not uh, he was running to pleasure in the Lord, as we said last week, pursuing the things of, of the Lord. He winds up on the wrong end of Potiphar's judgment because of his assumption that he had, had been inappropriate with Potiphar's wife, and then Joseph winds up in prison. While he's in prison, there's a really cool verse there at the beginning of 39, the end of 39. It says, everything Joseph does, he succeeds. And then you hear a story of him getting thrown in jail. It's like kind of a crazy bookend. But the very last verse in chapter 39 says that, and again, like the will of the Lord was on him so that he might succeed. And he winds up in prison. And ultimately, 
or, or immediately kind of rises to a place of prominence within the prison. Like the guards, like Joseph has so much integrity and so much faithfulness, the guards don't even have to worry about him. And he ends up being in charge of all the other people. Um, we know that this was not just a short story, that his journey from being sold into slavery at, at age 17 didn't end up coming to a conclusion until um, chapter 41 when Joseph is 30. So he was 13 years in a long, mired pit of despair, pit after pit after pit of despair and of disappointment and of suffering, you know? And, and sometimes I always feel the need to say this when we start talking about subjects of suffering. Like, I feel like sometimes we find ourselves in seasons of hardship, seasons of trial, and we're kind of like looking at our watch like, all right, when does this get to be over? You know, like I'm reading the Bible and I know the story of Job and it's like, oh, you know, Job had a lot of things and God said, Job will never curse me. And so the enemy took everything from Job and Job didn't curse him. And then God gave all the stuff back to Job. Like that's the story of Job, right? Well, kind of. The problem is, is you're talking about four chapters there out of 42 because stories of suffering are long. They're not short. Stories of suffering and hardship are oftentimes not poems. They are long sagas. And if I learned anything through stories like Joseph and stories like Job, it's that suffering and hardship are not short stories, but it doesn't mean they don't have a good ending. Doesn't mean they don't have a good ending. And we're going to touch on that today. So Joseph winds up in prison and the, the two people that he's in prison with are a cupbearer, which is basically like a fancy way of saying the secret service to the, to the Pharaoh. He would drink the wine before the Pharaoh would get to drink it. And, you know, if it was poisonous, then it would kill the cupbearer and not the king, right? And it's kind of his safety net. And then there was another man in there that was his chief, the chief baker over all of the people of Egypt. And the Pharaoh was mad at both these people and threw them in jail. And they had these dreams and they didn't know what the dreams meant. And so they kind of said, like, I wish we could find out what these dreams meant. And Joseph said, well, God gives the ability to interpret dreams and I can tell you what your dreams mean. And so Joseph unpacks to these two prisoners what their dreams mean. He gave some good news and some bad news. To the baker, he said, I've got bad news. Uh, Pharaoh's going to kill you. You know, like... Ta-da! Like, it's kind of like not what you want to get in your fortune cookie at a Chinese restaurant. You know, like, guess what? Gonna die. Um, I actually follow a Twitter account called Daily Death Reminder that just literally every single day it says, you're gonna die someday. Like, literally, I get that tweet on my phone every single day. You might be like, well, Andrew, you're super morbid. I'm like, no, actually, I'm reminded that every day I have is a gift and I want to capitalize it for the glory of God because someday I'm gonna die on this earth, but not forever, you know? Um, right on, 29 years and counting, not going to die forever. And so the, the, he gives the bad news to the baker, then he tells the cupbearer, but actually I've got good news for you. You're going to get your job back. You're going to be put in a place of, prom, of, of prominence in the kingdom. Oh, and by the way, when you do, don't forget about your boy Joseph down here in prison. Tell the Pharaoh how I helped you out and get me out of this situation. The dreams end up coming true. The baker was killed. The cupbearer was promoted. And the last verse of chapter 40 says, and the cupbearer forgot Joseph, left him in prison. Two years go by, the Pharaoh has a dream where he has a crazy dream about cows and corn. Um, and no, I'm not, that's not like an intro to like a Ben Connor joke. You know, like if you know Ben, he's Mr. Agriculture. If you don't know Ben, Ben, if you're watching, I love you a lot. Cows and corn. Um, it's, he has these dreams about cows and corn. He doesn't know what they mean. 
Pharaoh kind of laments aloud, I wish I knew what these dreams could mean. And the cupbearer was like, oh, hey, I think I got a guy. He's like down in the dungeon. He's in prison. It's been a little while since we've seen each other, but he's good at this dream stuff. And Pharaoh requests Joseph's presence. Joseph finally gets to come and, and meet the Pharaoh, meet the king over Egypt. And he tells him that these dreams mean that Egypt is going to be in seven years of, of, uh, of real like provision and, and growth and abundance. And then they're going to be in seven years of immense famine, famine that's going to strike the whole region. And then Joseph goes, if you were wise Pharaoh, if you're good Pharaoh, like you would plan and prepare so that you might store up in your abundance. And therefore, like in the years that there's, there's not much fruit, in the years that there is extreme and, uh, famine, you can, be, you, you can basically flex your power. You can help and aid and be a greater resource and, and become more prominent in the region. And the Pharaoh gets so pumped about this, he's like, he says, what well, the verse we started out, why, why, why can't we find a guy whom the Spirit of God's in, who's wise and discerning, as you are. And then he goes to promote this guy to like basically being vice president. Like Joseph, who was in slavery, becomes essentially the assistant king over all of Egypt. And we're going to talk about how that story continues going. But he goes from a place of unbelievable despair to a place of unbelievable prominence. And all the while, there's this verse that we come to that says, where can we find a man like this in whom is the spirit of God? I want to unpack that briefly for just a moment. Two ways. What does it mean that Joseph was a man in whom was the Spirit of God? Well, it's two things. First, it's the evidence of Joseph's faith. And second, it's the guarantee of his future. Um, the Spirit in Joseph, the Spirit was in Joseph, as the Word says there, 4138. But it was also more of a, probably an understanding of being on Joseph. Now, I want to unpack some stuff here. Because last week, Kurt said, you know, this, that the Spirit that was in Joseph that led him away from Potiphar is different than the indwelling Spirit that lives with us. And that's correct. For those of us that believe in Jesus, upon our confession and belief in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, the Bible tells us that we get the fullness of the Spirit of, of God that is pleased to dwell in our being in spirit form and never, ever, ever, ever go away. Like when we confess, repent, and believe in the gospel of Jesus, the Spirit of God is pleased to dwell in us and it doesn't like check out like we're some type of hotel if we mess up in a few weeks. Like it's there. In fact, it's there to guarantee we mess up less and less and less and less and to invite us more and more and more into truth, into his word, into holiness, into righteousness. That's what he does. That's different in the New Testament or the New Covenant than it was here in the Old Testament. One of the reasons I know that is that the tabernacle had not yet been abolished. God's presence still showed up in a room. If you know anything about the Old Testament, it would show up in like the Holy of Holies or before they built the temple, it would show up in a big tent as they like moved around the countryside. So God's presence was still kind of housed in, in some, you know, tangible forms. Um, it didn't reside in people like Stephen, one of the first deacons or one of the disciples of Jesus, uh, kind of asserted in Acts chapter 7 that the Spirit no longer lives in buildings made by hand, but now lives in us, these pots of clay, and, you know, that God has hewn out and made in human form. We are now the temple of the living God. That wasn't a truth yet that we were walking in when it comes to the spirit of God. So the spirit was more on the life of Joseph than it was in the life of Joseph as response of his belief in Jesus, because Jesus hadn't been born yet. Now, if you've read Romans, you know that Paul talks about some of these patriarchs of the faith that looked forward to a coming promise of the Messiah and so were imparted righteousness. I think that would be true of Joseph as well. And the reason we would know that 
is because of a chapter in the New Testament called Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 is commonly referred to as like the hall of faith in the Bible. And uh, it, it mentions all these stories of, of men and women whose faith was in the hope of the promised one, Jesus, and that the, that the Lord led them to endure faithfully. And Joseph's mentioned in there. Joseph's mentioned. The end of actually his life is mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. And so we have confidence that it was the Spirit of God in and on his life that, in, that caused him to endure faithfully and to please the Lord. Joseph pleased the Lord. We know this because Hebrew eleven six says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And we know that Joseph was one that did. He had a gift of faith granted to him as righteous so that he would succeed for the glory of God. Now, our definitions of success are sometimes a little bit different than God's definitions of success. And Moses, flexing some big wisdom here, knew this. Now, you might say, where did Moses come from? Okay, Moses actually wrote the book of Genesis. I don't know if you knew that or not, but Adam, Adam didn't write his part and then pass the baton to Abraham and Noah, pass the baton to Abraham. The way this, that we believe this was written is that Moses goes to a mountain and has an encounter, first time through a bush that didn't burn up, right? He's standing on the holy ground. You guys know the story. And I don't know how much time he hung out on there. I know it was a while. Um, at least it wasn't the movie because Charlton Heston's beard got really gray, you know, when he came back down from the mountain. That's a joke, okay? Um, I don't know how long he stood up on top of the mountain, but I know that in the time that he was being, that the Lord was revealing himself to Moses, Moses was granted the story, the narrative of everything we see. So, so Moses is like, I don't know if he's just like, you know, God gave him like a photographic memory or if he's like chiseling it down on, you know, stone or papyrus. I mean, obviously he came down with the tablets for the Ten Commandments, but he comes down with this whole story of all of God's move of faithfulness to people like Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, um, Abraham, Noah, Abraham, Lot, like Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. He, he comes down with this whole story. In fact, if you read any in the book of Exodus, it's the fact that Moses knew the family history that kind of gave him credential to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt where they were enslaved. Like they showed up. If you know anything about Moses, he was raised in the Pharaoh's home. So he probably ain't learning a lot of Jewish history in the Pharaoh's house. You with me? Um, and so he's raised in the Pharaoh's house and he goes to the mountain. He learns all this stuff about the land of his fathers and the God of his fathers. And when he says to God, how are the people going to know that I am the one that's supposed to lead them out? He said, you're going to tell them the God of your father sent me and you're going to be able to tell them their whole family history. Listen, if somebody showed up and started talking to me about like my parents, like a total stranger started talking to me about my parents and great grandparents and great, great, great grandparents. And I would be like, who are you? Like, how do you have all this knowledge about my life without Google? You know, cause they didn't have it then. Um, and I would give them some authority to trust what they were saying. So that's kind of what happens here. Moses is flexing some wisdom here that God's success is different than our success because he is writing this from the end of the story. Moses couldn't even write this book if the story of Joseph wasn't true. Wouldn't even be able to write this story if the story of Joseph wasn't true. And so we know that for 13 years in Joseph's captivity, that every single low, depressing, despairing day, the Lord was with him. Because the Spirit was on him. The cupbearer in Genesis 40, 23, as we mentioned, forgot him. But the Lord never did. Now I'm going to make an easy application here. Like this is like low-hanging fruit if, if you're looking at this text. If you're here today and feel forgotten, 
Feel like somebody's abandoned you, left you, betrayed you, forgotten you? Like, friends, you haven't been. And even the fact that you're here today to hear this truth is indication that the Lord hasn't forgotten you. I don't know what's going on in your relational circumstances, friends and family, co-workers, co, you know, co- classmates. I'm not sure. You might live in some relational inequality or frustration or uncertainty, but you've not been forgotten. The Lord never has forgotten you and he never forgot Joseph. And the word that Joseph was waiting on was actually two things. It was kind of a word from Pharaoh. Hey, cupbearer, don't, you know, make sure you tell Pharaoh so that he gets me out of jail. But he was also waiting on the word of the Lord to come true. Joseph was. Now I want to say this really quickly. I don't know what you're waiting on to be the improvement in your life. And I don't want to view the Bible as like a self-help book because it's not. Okay. It's definitely a book of getting to know that your creator, getting to know the character of the God that loves and proves you, and your life will be helped. But it's not like some secret formula of that we're selling on like the New York Times bestseller, okay? Um, I don't know what your view is of the scriptures, but Pam said it, and I'm going to say it again right behind, right behind her and what she, what she just discussed. A couple weeks ago, uh, my friend and my brother Ken was in here preaching, and he was talking about making every effort to supplement our faith. I'm just going to say this, especially to this room. If your effort to know Jesus is to read the Bible when you come to church on Sunday, you're not making much effort. I just need to call it like it is. All right, if your effort to get to know Jesus is whatever Kurt or Andrew or Butch or Brian or or anybody else says from the stage, you're not making much effort. And there's so much more that's available to you. In fact, like, and if you're like, well, Andrew, how do I wait on the Lord? Well, pick up the book and read it. Or the iPad, if you will. Pick it up and read it. Get to know it. Fall in love with it. And, and, and you don't make every effort to earn God's approval. You don't make every effort to earn his salvation. You don't make every effort to earn his grace in your life. You make every effort to get to know the character of the one that's already promised and pledged things to you. It's already got a great inheritance for you. Not to earn it, not to gain it, but to discover it. To hear it for yourself in your heart. If you're trusting, if you're trusting Sunday mornings to be that for you, That would be like saying you've watched a movie having only seen the trailer on YouTube, okay? Like, get in it. Make some more effort and get to know this word. Second thing the Spirit of God does to Joseph. So the first thing was it's evidence of his faith, the Spirit on him. The second is it's a guarantee of his future. Pharaoh didn't know this when he talks, when he says this quote to Joseph. Where are we going to find a man in whom lives the Spirit of God? He didn't know this, but his insight of the Spirit of God at work at Joseph was a prophetic confession of Joseph's inheritance that was coming. Joseph isn't gonna, is gonna go out on top of all this, right? Like we, we kind of know that end of the story. Joseph's gonna win, win in the end here. We know where this is heading. But Pharaoh doesn't know that when he declares that over Joseph. And neither does the next Pharaoh or the next Pharaoh or the next Pharaoh down the, down the road who eventually God has to come face to face with, face to face with in the person of Moses. This is let my people go because that's where this is ultimately heading to. And so what we know in this story is the Pharaoh sees Joseph, he sees the spirit of God on him, he sees success on him, and he makes him like the vice president. He gives him all this power and authority and sets him in in a place of prominence and a position of prominence and favor over the people of Israel. And here's going to be my real big time out in today's message. It is really tempting as a preacher to give you the message of how much the Lord desired and provided for Joseph's prosperity, and he'll do the same for you. If you, like Joseph, will just, almost fell down, will just, 
um, you know, like power through your despair and darkness and remain faithful. God will lift you out of the pit and make you succeed. But friends, I can't preach that sermon because that is a dangerous assertion. And quite frankly, it's not true. I hate to break it to you. If someone's preached to you a sermon that if you do follow all of God's rules, everything in life is going to work out for you and you're never going to have hardship or suffering, then you've not read the Bible. That goes back to me saying you need to make some more efforts. And the person that's told you that hasn't done you any favors, at least on this earth. Now, why is that a dangerous assertion? Let's talk about some characters in scripture. God saved Paul from jail, from shipwreck, from stoning, but eventually... Paul, the same guy that wrote to in Romans 13, verse 1, to obey the authorities that are in charge of us, those authorities put his head on a spike. God saved Peter and John in front of a council uh, in Jerusalem. There was a moment of celebration and praise that they didn't get what was coming to them from the governing authorities there. But eventually Peter was on a cross, as Jesus even told him was going to be in John chapter 21. One day they're going to be, they're going to take your body to a place you don't want it to go and they're going to put you on a tree. Jesus heard the longing of John the Baptist to be rescued from jail. This is in the Gospel of Matthew. John the Baptist sends word and says, hey, uh, I'm in jail, and I think you're the Messiah, so, you know, like, get me out. Um, do your work, or, or if you're not, should I look for the, another? That's what he says. Like, John the Baptist, the same guy that, like, baptized Jesus and heard the voice of the Lord say, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Like, the ultimate, you know, like, Dolby surround sound experience in the, in the New Testament. Um, he has this and then he is in jail in his circumstance. And he's like, uh, maybe Jesus really isn't the Messiah if he doesn't bail me out. And Jesus sent back word and said, the dead are being raised, the deaf are hearing, the blind are seeing, the good news is being preached to the poor. Blessed is he who doesn't fall away on account of me. Basically, that's a fancy way of saying uh, the mission of God is being accomplished and it's not to get you out of jail. Have a good life. We'll see you in eternity. And John's head ended up on a platter. Now that doesn't sound like the prosperity gospel, does it? That doesn't sound like... If you are faithful and trust the Lord, that he gets you out of every hardship. That's why it's dangerous to preach Joseph as a formula to earthly success. But here's the real goal. The goal in preaching this story in the book of Genesis is not to preach it and talk about the victory and success of Joseph. The goal of preaching the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis is to talk about and shine a light on the victory of Jesus. That's the point. It's easy to see the story of Joseph and be angry at the injustice he endured, how it's not fair for his brothers or Potiphar or the, the cupbearer to forget him and to treat him and to say like, oh, just, Joseph needs some pity because he suffered in such injustice. Joseph doesn't need pity. Joseph needs applause because he suffered for the eternal living God. So I'm going to preach for a second here, all right? If you're a follower of Jesus today, you never suffer haphazardly, ever. You never endure a trial or hardship that's haphazard or coincidental. But in your suffering, regardless of how you got there, whether it was your sin or somebody else's sin or something outside of your control or even someone else's control, it's an opportunity for you to display and exalt the living God in your very life. God doesn't treat your suffering like Chip and Joanna driving around uh, like a housing projects and being like, that house, we could redo that. We could put a hundred grand in that. Okay, like he's not sitting up on the throne looking at all of us in our despair and being like, they've got good market value. Like I can use them. They, if just some, you know, shiplap, they would be great. You know, like he's not doing that, right? <laughs> what he's doing is saying that each and every person on the planet, he would love to join in and with their story of suffering. 
That's what he's doing. He doesn't choose some and unchoose others. But he says each and every story of suffering on the planet is created so that it can display my goodness and my glory. So the opportunity in your suffering or in your hardship or in your trial or in, you know, like stinky years like 2020 where we don't get anything we want and it seems like it's bad news all the time. Like your opportunity is not primarily to learn self-awareness or empathy or compassion or endurance. Now you're going to learn some of those things when you suffer. You're going to learn some of those things, but your primary opportunity in suffering is not to be a more empathetic person. It's to show off and display the hope that you have in Jesus. That's your primary opportunity. And sometimes you do that for long, long seasons. And we call that endurance. First Peter writes, Peter writes in First Peter chapter 4, he said, If anyone suffers, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify the Lord. Here's the main reason we preach the Joseph story this way today. That we zoom out. And we don't just preach that if you keep the faith, you're going to get a promotion. We preach this. So while I mentioned earlier that God hasn't forgotten you, here's how I know why. It's because there's a greater application. You want to know why hasn't, God hasn't forgotten you? It's because God chose for a season to let his son be the forgotten one. You see, we aren't the forgotten one in the story of Joseph. No, no, no. You and I are the brothers pushing our other brother in the pit. We're Potiphar throwing injustices. We're the cupbearer forgetting the suffering servant trapped in the dungeon. That's who we are in the story. But there's a foreshadowing here. We see God's commitment to raise Joseph out as foreshadowing of another story of a suffering forgotten servant, despised and rejected, murdered, betrayed. And we know the end of that story too, that he'll be raised from death and not given a throne over Egypt, but given a throne over all creation. Uh, John Piper says, talking about this with Jesus, he said that King Herod's mockery of Jesus, Pilate's spineless bowing to the cowards, the Gentile soldiers crowning Jesus with thorns, and the crowds crying, crucify him. All of it was sinful. All of it was murderous. All of it was like Joseph's brothers and Potiphar's wife and the unjust years in the dungeon of Egypt. And all of it was planned by God so that he could be glorified in his son's God-exalting rescue. The message of Genesis, the life of Joseph, the death of Jesus, and the whole Bible is that God reigns in sovereign love over his entire people, even in our peril, all while working our salvation from his own affliction. That's what he does. Joseph's story existed not to teach us an object lesson about how to be successful in life if we pray and keep the faith, but to pave the way for Jesus. And one day you're going to realize that everything we've experienced on this side of eternity, everything we've experienced here is actually the pit. This is as close. If you're a believer, be encouraged. This is as close to hell as you're going to get. This is it. This is as bad as it gets. Everything we experience on this life, it doesn't mean there's not going to be moments of glory or moments of joy. That's a gift of grace from the Spirit of God when you get those. Like, celebrate the heck out of those. But it means that everything on this side is going to be infected with the virus of sin and brokenness on this side of the planet. Now, we hope and pray and long for revival for the realities of heaven to break in here. But, but that's only until we get to break into heaven eternally and forever together. All of life on this planet is one of endurance. All of it is. All of it. Matthew chapter 10, Jesus says, do you want to know, 
Do you want to know who's saved? Do you want to know who has the mark of salvation on their life? It's the people that endure till the end. That's how we get there. One day, on the other side of all this, you're going to see success and you're going to see victory. You're going to see promotion. You're going to see a seat of honor, but you're not going to see your success or your victory or your seat of honor. You're going to see his face to face. You're going to see his throne. You're going to see his work being celebrated. You're going to see a group of people around the throne say, worthy is he, worthy is he, to pick up the scroll and to open it. Worthy is he. And for every knee to bow before him. You're going to get to see that. I'm going to get to see that. Him exalted forever and winning at the end. And it's that confidence that fuels our endurance until we get there. We will be people, if we're followers of Jesus, that will endure to the end. If you're a believer of Jesus, we will do the work of enduring even better if our hearts are filled and set in the confidence of who Jesus is and that he's called our name. And he's done more than he did for Joseph. He didn't just call us out of a pit. He called us out of a grave. He isn't calling us to be put in, like his, his opportunity for us isn't that we'll one day be a leader over an entire country, but that we'll be co-heirs and co-reigners with him for eternity. So where, when we ask the question, when, when Pharaoh says, where can we find a man like this in whom the spirit of God dwells? Where can we find a man like this or a woman like this in whom is the spirit of God? Well, Commonwealth City Church, I hope we can say you can find him right here. You can find us right here. We are people in whom the spirit of God is pleased to dwell. And because of that, we are people that are going to be marked by endurance that doesn't end with our success on having made it through, but ends with a Christ-shaped victory and confidence in a Jesus that we know overcomes and declares us victorious over all things. And I don't just have to say that theoretically. I can say that telling stories. Like Aaron, a couple weeks ago, you stood up here with the mic, and you gave a testimony of endurance, and you displayed Jesus' victory in your life. Madison, a couple weeks ago, you stood up here with a microphone, and you displayed a testimony and declared a testimony of endurance. And because you've endured, like we see a display of the victory of Jesus. David and Caitlin, like you were on a video last week about what it means to be adoptive parents. And I've had plenty of conversations with you, not on the video, about the hardships that that's, that's, you know, brought along with it. And your endurance is a display of not your success, but a success of Jesus whom you trust. You know, Connor, walking with your dad as he battles cancer and your whole family, it's a, it's a display of your endurance that Jesus is a victor. Kayla, your testimony over overcoming cancer and, and what it means to walk through that and trust him. Like to every person that knows you, it's an endurance that displays that Jesus is victorious. Butch, Pam, right here, 40 years. It's not a credit or an ode to their success. It's a display of the success of their Savior, Jesus, who loved them enough to save and sustain them. James and Beth in the back, you've invited us into much, much of your story. It's not a display of your success, but the success of the living God in whom you trust. Calm City, when we ask the question, where is the Spirit of God and whom is it pleased to be on? Look around the room. The answer is us. And your endurance and my endurance collectively together should never be formulas for our success, but should be declarations 
of the faithfulness of the one true God who wins in the end. And he gives us enough confidence that we can make it through seasons of celebration and seasons of suffering all the same. And so when I look around the room, I just want to encourage us in this. If we're going to take the story of Joseph to heart, let's recognize that the spirit of God is always going to lead us to endure, to lead us to endure together and that we endure well by treasuring and cherishing Jesus every single day. I love y'all a ton. I'm proud of you, but let's not grow weary in doing good and let's not grow weary and enduring in the sustainability of our Savior. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for your truth. Um, we thank you for your confidence. God, we thank, you for, we thank you for our suffering. I know it's hard to say that, sometimes even gimmicky to say that, but Jesus, we genuinely thank you for our suffering because it's in our hardships and our trials and our pain in our worries and our doubts and our anxieties where we leverage all of our trust and all of our dependence and all of our faith on you that you show up victorious as a display in our life. And God, I just pray that you continue to be, uh, to lead us in endurance, to lead us to endure together as community, um, as a group of people that are willing to say, whom, whom does the spirit of God dwell in? He dwells in us. And we can't wait till we get to the end together and see your glorious exaltation with our own eyes. Jesus, we love you. We thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.